Go with me to the book of Acts today, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and I want to look at verses 7 through 12. The book of Acts, chapter number 20. We'll start at verse 7, and we'll land at verse 12. While you're looking forward to getting ready to look on the screen, how many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you've never heard me preach? Oh, quite a few of you. Okay, a uh, quick disclaimer. Um, there are so many different preaching styles. There are some preachers who are very calm. Uh, very quiet, very stoic and sedate as they stand behind a pulpit or a circular table to softly pontificate the processes of philosophy, eschatology, and soteriology. And they would consider it uncanny and boisterous for you to say anything while they're sharing what the Lord has deposited in the deeper recesses of their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Uh, I ain't one of those preachers, okay? <laughs> Let you know right now, I'm a hollaback preacher. So all that means, all that means is for the next... Two and a half hours that we're going to share together. <laughs> if you're feeling anything I'm saying, you can say, preach that. You can say, come on with it. You can say, mm, that was good. You can stand up in the middle. Stand up in the middle and go, that was for me. You can stand up in the middle and go, oh, that was for you. For real. You needed that. <laughs> Any one of those will work. Uh, just get verbally involved today. Let's go to Acts. Let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 20. I have been obsessed with this passage of Scripture. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's look at it. Verse 7. You ready to read it? Say yeah. yeah. It says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people because he intended to leave the next day and kept on talking until midnight. It's a long sermon. How many of you would stick around if I just kept preaching till midnight today? Come on, don't lie to me. Some of y'all going to sneak out before the altar call. Come on, keep it real. <laughs> and it says, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Verse 9, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. You know you're powerful. When you do a resurrection, don't even wash your hands according to the text, and just go straight upstairs and start eating. And after talking until daylight, he left, and the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Can you say amen? What an unusual passage of scripture about a young man named Eutychus who made the Bible. Not for something he preached, not even for anything he said. This young dude made the Bible for falling asleep in church and falling out of a window. Isn't that intriguing? That's just, I just, that just blows my mind. Of all the things that we read in the book of Acts, Paul's missionary journey, we get Eutychus' journey. And his journey was from a window to a fall. Oh, that would be a good title, wouldn't it? That's actually what I want to title this message. From the window to the fall, from the window to the fall. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and say, neighbor. Come on, look at him, say, neighbor. I know this message is for you. 
Come on, find your other neighbor, the one you completely ignored. Come on, say other neighbor. This would be a bad message for you to fall asleep in. Yeah, come on, let's pray as we go into this word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place today. God, we've not gathered here out of religious routine. We've not come here today to be entertained. We have come to be changed. Speak to us so clearly. And when we leave, let us say it was so good to have been in the presence of Jesus. And in Jesus' name, everybody say it. Come on, everybody say it. From the window to the fall. This passage for me immediately took me back uh, to a moment that occurred during my wife and I's first year of marriage. It's a moment I'll never forget. So some of you might know that before we planted our church, I traveled as an evangelist, had an itinerary ministry for like 16 years. I was from church to church, preaching from Genesis all the way to the maps in the back, giving it everything that I got. And during our first year of marriage, I don't even think we had been married like three months yet. I was traveling with my wife and I was trying to show her it's real out here on these evangelist streets. I'm not out here on vacation. I'm out here preaching the gospel and it's rough living out of a suitcase going from city to city. And so she traveled with me this entire week. I'll never forget it. And we were in a different city every night. We get to the church I was speaking at on the weekend and as a pastor picked us up late that Saturday night, he said, hey, we have three Sunday morning services. The first one starts at 8 a.m. So I looked at my bride. I said, hey, babe, it's been a long week. It's going to be a big, long Sunday. How about you just skip the 8 a.m.? You don't have to come to all three services. Just, 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 just take a break and relax. Now, keep in mind that we're not even married a year now. This happened today. I mean, we got 11 years in the game. She'd be like, uh, I didn't plan to come to all three. <laughs> I'll catch you at the last one at lunch. <laughs> but it's your first year of marriage. And so, oh, there's my mint. And so it's your first year of marriage. And she's like, babe, are you kidding me? I can't be separated from you. No, I'll go to all three. I said, are you sure? She said, yes. So we get to the service and I'm there and I'm preaching with everything that I got. And I'm getting ready to land the plane, land the sermon. And I notice out of my peripheral, my wife, who is sitting on the front row, her eyes are closed. And my immediate thought was, see, pick the right one. Look at my wife. She is there bombarding the atmosphere of heaven for me. She is interceding. She knows this is the most important part of the message that I'm about to land the plane. So she is praying for souls to come into the kingdom. What an amazing woman of God. And I kept on preaching. Then I noticed her head started rocking back and forth. And I said, wait a minute, we Pentecostal, but not that Pentecostal. Why are you rocking your head back and forth? And before you know it, I kid you not, she is asleep on the front row of the church, mouth open. I panicked while I was preaching because I'm noticing everybody noticed her asleep on the front row. So I just called the worship team back out. I said, I'm going to ask everybody to stand, stand. Everybody stand, please. <laughs> And finally she stood up. Oh, and I ended the sermon. And when I got back to the green room, I was livid. I said, did you see everybody noticing you fall asleep on the front row? And she said, ooh, in that cute Arkansas voice, babe, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was falling asleep. 
And I look back, and I really shouldn't have gotten mad because, come on, that is the cry of anybody who has fallen asleep in church. You don't know when you're dozing. You don't know when you're falling asleep in church. And now I'm mature enough to realize it just happens. Come on, it has happened to the best of us. All of us have had a Sunday where we are a little bit sleepy. Anybody honest enough to admit that you had a sleepy Sunday? Can I see your hand? See, see if you're not lifting up your hand, I'm not impressed with you. If you have never fallen asleep in church, all you're letting me know is you don't come to church a lot. Oh yeah, it's easy to stay awake if you only come on Christmas and Easter, but if you show up every Sunday, work a late Saturday night, I promise you, you're going to have a sleepy Sunday. So I didn't come all the way from Dallas, Texas to Grand Rapids to uh, condemn those of you who have fallen asleep in church. That is not the purpose of this message. I guess the question I'm asking myself is, why did this story make the Bible? Of all the things for Dr. Luke to write about as he begins to talk about the things that happen in the book of Acts. Remember, the book of Acts is chronicling for us the first 30 years of the birth of the church. When you read the book of Acts, you are not looking at everything that happened. You are seeing snapshot moments of the promise of God fulfilled that what started in the upper room with 120 all of a sudden spread around the world and went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Of all the things that Luke could have written about in the early church, why do I need to know about this young dude named Eutychus that fell asleep in church? Why do I need to know about Paul and Eutychus? I get understanding something about Paul and Ananias. Oh, I need to know about Paul and Ananias because you understand Paul, he is the persecutor also known as Saul. He's the one that God took from being a murderer to a church planner. Who? Don't ever tell me the grace of God can't reach you. Don't ever tell me that your history is too messed up or too hashtag jacked up for God to use you. If God can take a murderer and make him a church planner and have him write almost all of your New Testament, how many know he can take you and use your broken mess and use your life and get the glory? Only God can take the ratchet and make them righteous. Only God can take the broken and make them whole. Only God can take those who've been running away from the church, who'll be the first one to come down in the front and lift up their hands. Oh, I get it. I love that God knocked him off of his high horse, had a light blind him, and you need an Ananias because Ananias is the one that laid his hands on Paul when Paul was going from being a persecutor to a church planner. I need somebody to help me see my way. I get Paul and Ananias. I get Paul and Barnabas. Oh, because how many know when God saves you, he doesn't just save you to sit on your blessed assurance and do nothing. You need to do something and you need to get on mission. So I get a Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas is the one that accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. And I love that whenever God calls you to something, he never calls you to be a lone ranger. He'll always connect you with somebody. You need a Barnabas. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. If you think you have a call from God and you're going to do it all by yourself, I'm telling you that call is not from God. The call of God will always be bigger than you. You'll always need somebody that he's got to connect you with. So I get Paul and Barnabas. I get Paul and Silas. 
Because come on, you need a Silas when you've done the right thing and you've ended up in prison and you decide to have a praise party. If I'm going to praise God and I did the right thing and I still found myself in a prison, I don't want to praise God by myself. It would feel better if I had somebody in agreement with me. Come on, I need somebody when I say hallelujah, they say hallelujah. When I say praise God, they say Lord. That's the power of this Sunday. How many are thankful that we can gather together and it's when our praise comes together, powerful things begin to happen. I get Paul inside. It's the one I can't figure out is why do I need to know about Paul and this little kid named Eutychus that fell asleep in church? Surely the message is don't sleep in church. Surely the message is, isn't you can't preach long. Because I've heard some people say that. See, Paul preached too long. That's why he fell asleep. I vehemently come against preaching a short sermon. <laughs> come on. I had a professor that he said you should preach uh, 15 minutes or less. A Bible college professor. He said you should only do 15 minutes or less. He said the mind cannot retain what the seat cannot endure. I would only go 15 minutes or less. And I'm thinking, well, you're boring. You should do 15 minutes or less. But surely I can get a little more time than that. Surely, surely the message is don't preach long because if the message from this text is not to preach long, I'm confused. Eutychus is the only one that fell asleep. I don't know how many people were in this room. Maybe there was 100, maybe there was 2,000. I don't know how many people were in this room, but the Bible only records one person that fell asleep during Paul's message. Eutychus was the only one. If Paul was that boring, was preaching too long, it would have said everybody was falling asleep. It was only Eutychus who started dozing. So that lets me know, although Eutychus was falling asleep, everybody else in that room must have had some expectation. Everybody else in this room must have been sitting on the edge of their seat saying, Paul, we ain't got nowhere to go. We don't have a Netflix series to watch, if you've got enough time to preach, if you've got enough content to pour out, then we've got enough capacity to receive what you are pouring out. Shout out to the other people who are in the room who had to be in that room with expectation to receive every single thing that Paul had to pour out. Ooh, can I just pause right here and tell somebody God is not lacking in the depth of what he wants to pour out in our lives, but often we are lacking in the depth of our capacity to receive what God wants to pour out. God has so much he wants to give you, but do you have the capacity to receive it? Just like Paul kept on preaching and everybody else in the room kept on receiving, how many you know God has so much he wants to pour out in your life? The question is, do you have the capacity to receive it? See, sometimes we're saying, God, I want more. I want more. Pour it out. And God's going, but all you got is a saucer. I got gallons and oceans I want to fill you with. I can give you more wisdom. I can give you more power. I can give you more anointing. I can pour it out, but do you have enough capacity to receive? Are you desperate enough to receive what he wants? Or are you just going to be a complacent Christian that comes to church and checks the box and says, well, I went. Well, no wonder you haven't gotten a breakthrough because there's nothing desperate on the inside of you that wants more. 
I remember back in the day, some of you aren't going to remember this commercial. There's this commercial that I used to have back in the day that I used to watch. I think it was for like hot dogs. Pastor Jeremiah, I don't know if you remember this commercial, but they would be sitting on the couch and like, it was a weird commercial, but it was powerful because they would be sitting on the couch, two people, and then all of a sudden a hand would come out of one of the person's stomach and he would grab the hot dog and he'd eat the hot dog. Y'all remember that commercial? YouTube after service. And he would grab the hot dog and he'd eat the hot dog. The hand would just grab the hot dog and they would end with this powerful statement at the commercial. Hunger gets what hunger wants. Hunger gets what hunger wants. Oh, I'm telling you, that's how it works in the kingdom of God. If you want something from God, there needs to be something on the inside of you that's actually reaching out for more because hunger gets what hunger wants. That's why the Bible says deep cries out to deep. The depth of your desperation will cry out to the depth of God's capacity, but shallow doesn't cry out to deep. Are you desperate for God to do more? And this room was filled with expectation. Well, can you prove it in the text? Absolutely, I can. I'll show you that this room had expectation for Paul to pour out everything he had. It's in one verse. Look at verse number eight of Acts chapter 20. It says, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. There were how many lamps? Many. How many? many? Many. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting, where Paul ended up preaching past midnight. Paul, I promise you, didn't plan to preach that long. It just happens. But as he preaches long, all of a sudden the room was already prepared with lamps because there is no electricity. Somebody, before they gathered in that room, said, you know what? It might go late tonight, so let's go ahead and set this room up. Let's have some proof of our expectation for God to do something. Somebody took the time to fill that room with many lamps because they knew this could go late, and I want to receive everything that God has for me, and I can't leave the room at night to go get the lamps. I got to set the room before I get in, and can I tell you, I know you're expectation by how you prepare for what God is going to do in your life. I'm talking to some of y'all that didn't wait to get to church to start worshiping, but you were worshiping in your car. You woke up today ready. Do you have any expectation that has proof? I'll take those three claps. Thank you so much. Proof of expectation is powerful. Those lamps were proof that they had expectation for something to happen. Wait a minute, not just the lamps. Woo! They had to put oil in those lamps. Not only did they get enough lamps, but they had enough oil in the lamps. That reminds me of a parable that Jesus told where there were five foolish bridesmaids and five wise ones, and all of them pulled a Eutychus, remember? They fell asleep, and when the bridegroom came, all of a sudden they started getting all their lamps, and the ones that were wise were the ones that had enough oil in their lamps. I just want to know, do you have some proof? that you're expecting God to do something? What's your proof of expectation? All throughout the Gospels, you see proof of expectation. Remember when they tore the roof off for the layman? That was proof of expectation. Remember the woman that pressed her way through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment? She was breaking the religious law by being out there touching people. She was unclean, but her pressing through the crowd was proof of expectation. Some of you need to get some proof. 
that you're actually expecting God to do something. I know you're unemployed, but get your resume together and borrow a suit and say, this is proof of expectation. I know you hadn't had the baby yet, but you ought to just go and start looking for a baby crib and say, God, I got some proof of my expectation. Those lamps. Those lamps were already prepared in the room. They were already set because they expected that this might go late and we don't have time to leave and we want to be leaned in to what God is doing. Not only were the lamps proof of expectation, but anytime you see a lamp in the Bible, it is a picture of illumination of the word of God. The Bible says that his word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. That means I trust God for every single step in my life. A lamp in those days didn't give you vision for the next 10 years. I know some of you want, God, what's the 10-year plan? You're not going to get it. His lamp is, his word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Sometimes God says, I'll just light up the next step. And I love that this room was filled with expectation. And it was filled with people who were ready to receive everything that God had for them. And there's Eutychus, and Eutychus is in that room. And can I tell you, I've been to this upper room. I don't want to brag about where I've been, but I've been to where this upper room was. I've been there. I have been to this upper room in my mind. No, I went there. I went to Troas where they met. I worked all day just to go to this meeting because everybody in the city was talking about how Paul, the great apostle, was coming to preach. So I remember walking up those three flights of stairs. I remember the buzz that was in the room. I remember the smells that were in that room. Because some people didn't shower. And there we were in that room waiting for Paul to get there. I remember when we started breaking bread because this was the first time we gathered on a Sunday to remember the resurrection of Jesus. And there we were. We were just eating a meal together. It was so good. I didn't eat all day at work and I was so happy to be in Troas, to be in the room. And I ate the food and then we took communion together and we broke the bread and we took the cup and then Paul walked in. Ooh! And when he walked in, I was nervous. I don't know if you've ever met your hero before, but I saw Paul when he walked in and got ready to preach and man I was leaned in to hear this great apostle preach and there I was listening to him and I was standing up with excitement and I was with Paul for like the first 30 minutes I was with him for the first 50 minutes but then Paul started preaching for an hour and understand my belly was full and the room was packed and then all those lights and the room were kind of creating this little atmosphere. And I shook myself. I was like, I can't fall asleep on Paul preaching. They're going to put that in the Bible. And I stayed, leaned in. You know how you do. And I just kept listening to Paul. And he kept on preaching. But he was an hour and 15 minutes into his message. I'm like, come on, Paul. Then an hour and 30 minutes in, an hour and 30 minutes, I just sat down so I could hear him preach. And he kept going. At an hour 45, he started taking questions. Come on, Paul, don't do that. And so I said, I got to go to the bathroom. I went to the bathroom. I left. I came back. Somebody took my seat. I said, come on. So I just stood up again. Listen to Paul. He's two hours in, and I'm trying to pay attention. Then he starts taking questions again. And finally, I just had to sit 
by a window to get some air because it was so hot. My tunic was kind of thick and I got some air by the window and then I just leaned on the window sill and Paul's two hours and 30 minutes in and I'm trying to pay attention in two hours and 50 minutes. Then I started looking outside the window because I was just saying, this is the sermon that'll never end and I looked outside and then Paul's still calling and I'm like, bruh, hurry up and my stomach was full and I had all that food and the lamps was up. You see how it happens? My issue with Eutychus is not so much his sleep. My issue with Eutychus is his seat. Of all the places to sit, why in the world would you sit in an open Window of all the places in that room. Why would you sit in an open window? I'm not here to condemn Eutychus' sleep. We've all said it. We've had some sleepy Sundays. But I do have an issue with Eutychus' seat because that is a dangerous place to sit. Why in the world would you sit in an open window? And I feel like God sent me on assignment to tell somebody, when you're in the house of God, you better be careful where you sit. It's dangerous to sit and have open windows in the house of God. Windows that are still open in your life. It's dangerous to be in the room but still looking out into the world at a life that you used to have. I want to know where are you sitting in the house of God? Eutychus is a message to the church. Eutychus didn't skip the service. Eutychus is not brunching right now. Eutychus comes to church. Eutychus has excitement to hear the message. But Eutychus sits in open windows, sits in dangerous places. I want to ask somebody, is that the best place for you to sit? I know you're in the house of God. I know you love him. So did Eutychus. But I want to know, where are you sitting? Because an open window is a dangerous place to sit. You know you're sitting in an open window when you're trying to see how close to the edge of sin you can get without it being sin. That's a sign that you're sitting in an open window. And I felt like God told me to ask you, is that the best place for you to sit? Because you're getting so close to the edge. There's some of you, you've been in the house of God, but you're still looking out the window to the life that you used to have. And an open window is a dangerous place to fight sleep. If you don't get anything else I say today, hear this. Don't fight sleep in a window seat. Don't fight sleep in a window seat. Because when you sit in dangerous places, When you sit in an open window, it's only a matter of time before you go from the window to the fall. He should have got up when it got sleepy and gone from the window to the wall or something. You said it, not me. I would have stayed somewhere else. At least the wall has some stability. (laughs) But why sit in 
an open window. There's some of you that are sitting in open windows, and here's the thing. Oh, I'm good. I mean, we, I haven't cheated yet. We're just texting. It's an open window. There's some of you that are playing with things in open windows, and you think you can handle it, and you can't handle it. Maybe Eutychus thought he could handle it. He's like, oh, I'm good. That's what his name means, good fortune. You're not good. Why would you sit in a window seat? That's a dangerous place to sit. Don't fight sleep in a window seat. Come on, have you ever been fighting sleep? Ever been fighting it? No, I mean physically. Isn't it hard? I mean, have you ever looked at yourself and seen the dumb things you do just trying to stay away? You ever see where you look at your face sometimes? Have somebody record you. I tell you about when I'm driving, when I'm driving, whoo, my wife gets nervous. I'm telling you, I can't do long drives. It's something about the drone of the engine, and I'll just start, <sighs> I'll shout at myself. I'll start hitting myself. I'll listen to songs that don't even match my skin tone. Making my way downtown. I'll just whatever I can do. <laughs> Since you've been gone. Is that Pastor Robert singing, Since you've been gone? Whatever I can do <laughs> to try to stay awake. It is hard to fight sleep. So why would you put yourself in a window seat? Come on, you remember the disciples? Remember that time they were trying to fight sleep? And Jesus said, come pray with me. And they couldn't pray. And they started sleeping. Do you remember what Jesus said when he found them? He said, could you not pray one hour? But then he says something strange. He says, be careful that you do not fall into temptation. What? <laughs> Come on, put yourself in the situation. You're dozing. <gasps> he catches you sleeping. Be careful that you do not fall into temptation. What does temptation have to do with sleep? This is classic Jesus. <laughs> Seems like he should have said, be careful that you do not fall into a temperpedic. What does temptation have to do with sleep? He'll later go on to say, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, the great teacher, the great illustrator, is giving you a metaphor of the battle between your flesh and your spirit. The same way when sleep is coming on you and you're fighting it, that is the fight of your life between the flesh and the spirit between what your spirit wants and what your flesh wants, the fight that you have with sleep is the same battle. And he says, be careful that you do not fall into temptation. I want to give you a few verses because the Bible is replete with scripture that lets us know that our biggest fight is to stay awake, to stay vigilant. Look at what it says. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. Worship team, you can join me. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. In Romans 13, verse 11 and 12, Paul says, And do this, understanding the present time, 
the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. All throughout the Bible, trying to get us to understand that the fight of your life is to stay awake. And I came to tell somebody in here that even disciples with the best intentions get sleepy. Eutychus loved Jesus. He loved the house of God. And sometimes the disciples with the best intentions ever start dozing off. Even when the disciples fell asleep on Jesus. Yes, Jesus was sorrowful, but remember the disciples actually had sorrow too. Sometimes sorrow makes you sleepy because you've been through so much. You're tired of fighting to stay awake. I guess the thing that's scary to me about this passage is that if I don't know when I've fallen asleep in the natural, if I don't know I've fallen asleep in the natural until somebody says, hey, wake up, could it be possible that I don't know when I'm falling asleep in the spirit? This is the danger of sleep is you don't know when you've fallen asleep. And I've seen so many believers who are like Eutychus. They have great intentions. Intention will get you in the room, but it is your attention that keeps you in the room. And the enemy is trying to get you to fall asleep. God just sent me to be somebody's wake-up call to say, this is your time to wake up. You don't know when you're falling asleep in the natural. You might not know when you've fallen asleep in the spiritual. Matter of fact, I'll give you some signs. This isn't a full list, but here's some signs that you might be getting sleepy spiritually. You might be getting sleepy if you have little or no desire to pray. You might be getting sleepy spiritually if you've lost your appetite for the Word of God. You might be getting sleepy if you're no longer convicted of willful sin. You used to be so convicted when you did it, but now you do it and it's like, I'm, I'm fine with it. You, you might be getting sleepy if you have a desire to be served rather than serve others. You might be getting sleepy if you're easily offended. You might be getting sleepy if you are avoiding accountability. You might be getting sleepy if you're consistently comparing yourself to others. You know you're getting sleepy when you are spreading or entertaining gossip. That's why some of y'all sleep with your mouth open. You know you're getting sleepy if you're isolating yourself from the community of believers. 
if you're isolating yourself and you don't want to be in community, that is a sure sign that you are getting sleepy. And that is my indictment to the people that were in this room that day. Again, I'm not judging Eutychus' sleep. I'm judging his seed. But I also have a question for the people that were in that room that day. How come nobody in that upper room went up to Eutychus and said, hey man, you're dozing. Why don't you wake up? How come nobody in that entire room said, hey, that's really a dangerous place to sit. You mean to tell me there wasn't one person that could have walked up to Eutychus and said, Eutychus, I wouldn't sit there. Eutychus, I saw your head rocking back and forth and we don't know when we're falling asleep, but I saw you. Come on, Eutychus, I've been there. I had a day too that was long, but come on, Eutychus, you gotta wake up. Stand over here. I'm trying to tell you why you need the church. I'm trying to tell you why you need community. You need somebody to tell you. Your calling is too high for you to be living that low. You need somebody to tell you. You need to be connected to community. How come nobody told Eutychus, wake up, don't sit there. I'm wondering when they noticed that he fell out the window. I've heard people laugh and talk about this story like it's so funny that he fell out the window, but really think about it. Have you ever had somebody wake you up and you've been disoriented? Can you imagine waking up midair, falling three stories to the ground? I'm wondering when they noticed he left the room. Or were they so enamored with Paul's preaching that they didn't even realize Eutychus has fallen out the window. And woe to the church if we're so busy being entertained and listening to preachers that we're missing out, that we're supposed to hold each other accountable, that you need to check on that person that hadn't been coming to church in a while, that God put you in their life to follow up with them. When did they notice Eutychus was gone? I don't know if the commotion outside the ground made them look out the window, but I do know how they behaved. Because it seems like from what I read in the text, that everybody just stayed at the window. They said, ooh, look at Eutychus. Isn't that what church people do sometimes? <laughs> when we see somebody fall, oh, we look from the window and we say, y'all come look at this. Can you believe they fell? Uh-huh, shouldn't have been sitting there. I, yeah, I told him. I, 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 I didn't tell him, but I was thinking it. He shouldn't have been sitting there. I'm telling you, we'll post it. We'll look at it. Isn't it crazy how we'll look at people who have fallen? But thank God for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the only one in that room that demonstrated what the church is really supposed to do. Yes, Eutychus shouldn't have been falling asleep. Yes, he shouldn't have been sitting there. And yes, he had a fall. But thank God for the Apostle Paul. The Bible says that Paul went down. If you want to know what real ministry is, real ministry is you coming down to where dead broken people are and when society has said it's over, the marriage is over, that child is over, look at what Paul said. No, it ain't over. There's still life on the inside of him because we serve the one that is the resurrection and the life. We need a church that's not going to stand in a third story room and look at those who have fallen, but let us come down to where hurting and broken people are and say there's still life in you. You're not done yet. God has more he wants to do in you and through you, but you got to get down to where they are. Oh, somebody give God some praise in this place today. Let us be a church. Let's be a church that when people have gotten sleepy, 
they were sitting in the wrong seat and they've fallen down. Let's be a church that doesn't judge them from the top of the upper room, but we'll do like Paul and say, hey, there's still life in you. Yeah, you shouldn't have sat there, but there's still life in you yet. This is a significant moment in scripture because it's the first time that they're gathering on a Sunday. It's where we see the Sabbath switch to a Sunday to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. And isn't it just like God to give them a resurrection on a Sunday that they're meeting to show them that death is not the end. And wherever you put a period, God says, no, I'll put a comma because I am the resurrection and the life. The same God that did it for Eutychus is willing and able to do it for you in this place today. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? I'm going to ask every head be bowed and eyes be closed. I'm going to ask nobody moving. Heads bowed and eyes closed because today is somebody's wake-up call. is your wake-up call. Eutychus has the best intentions. Eutychus was so excited to be in the room that day. But Eutychus sat in a dangerous place. I'm talking to somebody who you know you have open windows. The danger of sitting in an open window is only a matter of time before there's a fall. I'm telling you, I'm noticing people aren't falling because they got sleepy. They're falling because they're sitting in dangerous places. And this is why you need community. And this is why you need the church. Because we don't know when we're getting sleepy. We don't know when we're falling asleep. And we need somebody to tell us, wake up. And I felt like God sent me from Dallas to Grand Rapids so that some Eutychus who's falling asleep, some Eutychus who's sitting in an open window, some Eutychus who's falling out the window and you think your life is over and God's telling me to tell you it is not over. There is still life in you because he is the resurrection and the life.